This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Despite multiple shocks to the global economy and supply chains in 2022, the world's largest logistics player, DHL Group, has thrived, actually raising its guidance for the year in contrast with competitors like FedEx that have already started raising the alarm bells. Its express international shipping division, DHL Express, has played a key role in the group's overall resilience. But are the good times set to end in the coming year with the global recession looming amid continued geopolitical tensions? Joining me to discuss short-term and long-term trends in the logistics space is John Pearson, Global CEO of DHL Express. Good to have you back on the show, John. Welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for that nice introduction. Good to be here. I'd like to start with taking a big picture look at trends in global trade, drawing on some of the insights from the DHL Trade Growth Atlas that was released in September. Now, as far as cross-border trade flows are concerned, the COVID-19 pandemic left barely a scar, with international trade bouncing back as much as 10% above pre-pandemic levels this year. What do you think accounts for the resilience of trade levels, despite the shocks to the supply chain that we've seen in the form of the war in Ukraine, as well as China's continued zero-COVID policy implementation? I think, you know, the, as, as I often say, the, the outlook for global trade and connectedness is extremely positive. And some people misinterpret those remarks as saying here and now, tomorrow, next week, you know, there is no recession or anything else. So I, I make a clear distinction between the, as you rightly said, the short and the midterm. And the, the trajectory for global trade and export growth has proved to be extremely resilient. And the, you know, the, the export growth and trade growth is anticipated to be more than more than pre-pandemic. Um, sure, here now, as we as we look around the corner to the next few months, there are quite a quite a few storm clouds. So how those develop and how they play out, we'll have to see what sort of peak season we see. No one really knows that, and we watch all those lines very carefully. But here we talk about the, the resilience of, of global trade, and I think you know businesses and and uh, the approach to business is very self resuscitating. As the air freight market normalized and as borders opened towards the back end of 2020 and into 21, people carried on doing what they're doing, uh, what they do best, which is trade globally. And um, that was underpinned by the Global Connectedness Study we released about a year ago. It's in its 10th edition now, and it's always been something that was anticipated, but never, never more anticipated than the last publication, which is what precipitated us through the global trade atlas, really, because we sensed that people were more interested in the mercurial nature of trade and sort of who was winning and not quite the right way to say it, who was losing out and how trade is evolving over time. So I am very positive about the mid and the long term mm-hmm. um, um, future for, for trade and global connectedness and all the data points mm. from the work that we do with uh, NYU and uh, Stern School for Business 
uh, absolutely illustrate that. Mm, okay, so you don't deny that um, with the looming global recession, we are likely going to see the momentum for trade growth slowing down in the short term. But in the long term, um, there's a lot of bright spots to look ahead to. Um, I want to pick up on this issue of globalization and deglobalization that you mentioned, because yes, you've played down the risks of deglobalization coming out of the pandemic over the past two years. We haven't seen globalization being replaced by regionalization, but is it just a matter of time? We already see plans being put in place for supply chains to be brought closer to home, um, such as by the U.S., especially for critical products like chips. So perhaps in the medium to long term, that is a trend that we're going to be seeing. And does that pose a risk to to DHL Express's overall business? I think, you know, you're absolutely right. There is some you know, element of, of nearshoring and a reshoring, all these these words that relate to supply chain resilience have been there for a while. And I think there is some element of uh, refining around the edge, and you mentioned chips there. But by and large, you know, the trade um, the trade routes that have you know, established centuries ago are still very much in place. And I look back at the last decade and I... I you know, I look carefully to see how much things have changed. And I, I give the illustration, which we may have talked about before, but I like it very much, of not only the global financial crisis in 07, 08, but the, the Icelandic um, um, ash cloud situation, which was not just a weather event, but something that impacted flights over Europe for the best part of 30 or 45 days. And everyone at that point said they're going to change their supply chains. They're going to bring things much closer to home. Well, what happened? Not very much, because those supply chains that do service businesses, wherever they may be in Europe, in Asia, or in the or, the, or in the Americas, have stood the test of time and have been based on elements of efficiency and elements of economics. And honestly, during the pandemic, those trade um, the, the, the supply chains were incredibly resilient. You know, given that um, a lot of the belly space of the aviation assets that exist were were put on the ground. And I think, you know, a lot of people, the vaccines were a good example of that. You know, one article in one business journal I saw said that the vaccines would be produced, but the logistics companies would struggle to deliver them. Well, that absolutely just was not the case. And I think we delivered over 5 billion vials of vaccine without any spoilage whatsoever. And if to be able to do that illustrated the nature to which supply chains and, and transportation companies like ourselves were able to cope with that. Um, so there is some there is some um, element of um, uh, reshoring. I think you know, sort of China plus one topic is certainly more evident than it has been before. I think Malaysia uh, is well positioned to benefit from that. You have a very very strong and uh, well structured export um, um, infrastructure and logistics infrastructure. Um, I commend the work that must have been done over the over the last decades in terms of setting up uh, Malaysia in terms of global connectedness and being a high quality logistics provider. And along with India and Vietnam and the Philippines, I think you know Malaysia stand to benefit from that. And I think you know that the China plus one um, is a situation relating to supply chain resilience. People want more optionality. People want more flexibility. Um, and they're putting plans in place to do that and have been for, for some time, pre-pandemic as well. Uh, nearshoring, I, I'm, you know, I'm less, you know, there are elements of it happening, but I'm, I'm less convinced that, you know, it, it poses much of a risk. 
But I think the other thing is that DHL, DPDHL, you know, all things to all people. We're in all regions, we're in all industries, we're in all channels from multinationals through down to SMEs, we're in e-commerce, we're in B2B. So I think, you know, as has often been the case in my 36 years in DHL, when one region or one channel or one industry is, is struggling a little bit, someone else, you know, picks up picks up the slack and uh, and compensates for that. And I think that is trade in itself because business has to continue and people open other doors. And I often say that you know, every week a new trade deal is being signed in one part of the world or another. In fact, ASEAN is a, a great example of countries that weren't necessarily doing much together 50 years ago. And now it's held up as perhaps one of the most successful um, trading blocks that there is and just goes from strength to strength. So that's something that is a great benefit for us in Asia Pacific as a whole. I'd like to get an update on the um, Asia Pacific investments that DHL Express has made. Back in 2020, you announced about 750 million euros worth of investments across the region, largely in response to the e-commerce boom that we've seen. What's the progress update on that rollout? Has it all been spent? And how does that position DHL Express to capitalize on the growth trends that we were talking about earlier? That's a great question. So, yeah, and India was a good example of where we opened up a new um, uh, service center just outside Delhi um, in the space of the last few months. So all that money is being spent according to plan. You know, our infrastructure in DHL Express is service centers, gateways, hubs, aviation, and IT. And when you're as global as we are and in any one country, all of those need replacing um, in the space of 10 or 15 years. So at any one time, uh, there is a lot of investment going across uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, Meat and potatoes, as I call it, shopping list each year is around one and a half billion in DHL Express alone. Uh, A good proportion of that is spent in Asia Pacific. Asia Pacific has been our growth engine for many years, and we need to continue to expand those, those facilities. And a lot of that um, is in terms of uh, aviation. I think what we learned during the pandemic was having the right aviation assets in the right place at the right time is absolutely fundamental to providing quality. Because quality in our industry is transit time. And transit time is dictated by lift, you know, capacity, uh, capability, and being able to avoid any level of backlogs and so on and so forth. So. The aviation investments um, in terms of, again, optionality and flexibility with our own partner airlines and increasingly our own uh, dedicated fleet where we've been buying 777s over the last um, three or four years, um, these aircraft have come in right at the right time and been able to um, deliver that promise of transit time reliability to our customers. And at the end of the day, our customers, on top of good customer service, obviously are wanting earliest possible delivery and latest possible pickup. And that aviation network, coupled with our bricks and mortar infrastructure, obviously um, allows that to be delivered. Okay. I do want to get your thoughts on how you see the nexus between trade, logistics, and climate change. I have trouble reconciling um, the nature of trade and logistics businesses with uh, climate change action, you know, given that uh, this business really depends on emission-producing activities. Um, how does that tie in with the goal of being sustainable? How are you implementing the directive to be carbon neutral by 2050 at DHL Express? Yeah. So, um 
I think, firstly, a lot of companies, and I speak certainly for our own uh, group, uh, have sort of stopped talking and thinking about this topic and doing stuff, um, putting plans in place that reduce emissions. As you may know, we have a, a plan to be at 20, 29 million tons of CO2 emissions by, by 2030 and carbon neutrality sometime later than that. We're investing heavily to the tune of 7 billion euros uh, by that date of 2030 in doing so. And um, there are many areas you can look at in our business, whether it's solar paneling on the top of facilities, whether it's the electrification of our first or last mile fleet, whether significantly it's um, the purchase of sustainable aviation fuel, um, or even slightly longer term output, but nevertheless a force for good, the purchase of 12 all electric, zero emission cargo planes which um, with a partnership with a company called Aviation. Uh, the aircraft is called Alice, and um, a test flight happened in Seattle just a matter of a few weeks ago. And by 26 or 2027, sometime out, I, I admit, um, we expect those planes to be flying short route, line, short route lines of four to 600 miles um, in the US. So I think there's a lot going on. There's a lot more going on every year. There's a lot of developments in the industry which will lead to the accessibility and the availability of sustainable aviation fuel. We intend to be um, a 30% sustainable aviation fuel uh, by 2030. And um, yeah, I I think it's just a question of action now uh, rather than talking. Every single aircraft we buy is more efficient than the aircraft it replaces. It so happens that because the growth has been so high during the pandemic, those aircraft haven't necessarily replaced aircraft. But as aviation and trade normalizes, those new assets will come in and replace older, less efficient aircraft. So I, I feel pretty proud about the, uh, the extent which were, I think, first in and best dressed in terms of many of these policies and many of these actions. And every company just needs to put their own their own plan and, and start putting those things into action rather than understanding, thinking and talking. And I, I see that happening now. I'm speaking to John Pearson, Global CEO of DHL Express. After the break, we'll parse through DHL Group's recent financial results and also their guidance for the coming year. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me on the show today is John Pearson, Global CEO of DHL Express. Earlier, we were discussing big picture themes in global trade and the factors underpinning long-term optimism in trade growth. But while the distant future may be bright, there are no doubt storm clouds in the near term, primarily in the shape of a likely global recession in 2023. Um, DHL Group has managed to keep these storm clouds at bay for this year, John. In the recent earnings review, 2022 EBIT guidance was actually raised from $8 billion to 8.4 billion euros on the back of solid third quarter results. The Express division reversed a declining EBIT that was seen in Q2. It recorded 4.2% EBIT growth on year in Q3, amounting to around 1 billion euros. What accounts for these positive numbers despite persistent high fuel prices and also a very strong US dollar? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, we're a very... um a flexible network in terms of, you know, being able to flex down um, our aviation assets and our, um, our our PUD side. So we have more flexibility in our network than uh, 
than people might necessarily imagine. Yield and, 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 and pricing activities, you know, with um, capacity rather less available, you know, in the marketplace, um, our, our yield activities have driven some of that. And, you know, the, the weight up until, you know, very recently, the weight profile of our business has actually remained very strong. So, so two broad segments of our business, B2B and B2C, and during 2020 and 21 and maybe the start of this year, e-commerce was extremely strong. Um, in fact, the, the, the sort of rather cliche phrase now that we had sort of three years of, of B2C growth in three months was very much the case in 2020. And all those all those organizations that set up um, as online merchants are still there. The All those customers and consumers that started buying online and they hadn't bought online before are still there. Mm. And that's just sort of waiting to kick off the game. But the prognosis for B2C is extremely positive. And in terms of um, B2B, um, whilst the shipment um, growth has been more muted, uh, the weight growth of um Business moving from sea freight to air freight or air freight to to express has been very evident. Customers wanting um, stability of pricing and stability of, of, of transit time. And our customers, if they're at a certain level of pricing, will only hear from us once a year in terms of any pricing changes. That's our annual GPI in January, and there'll be no other spot rate or volatile movements of price the period of the year and customers really appreciate that and customers really appreciate the stability of transit time which they know to be depending on where uh, they're shipping anywhere between one or four days so a lot of that weight that would typically be moved in a forwarding environment in some case even a sea freight environment has come down to um, the express uh, operators for the reasons of price stability and uh availability of capacity so mm. i think things have been you know perhaps more positive than 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 people might um, have understood and now we have to think about the next sort of six months or we typically say there's a sort of line in the sand around chinese new year what what the environment will be like uh towards chinese new year Ch china is now sort of opening up somewhat in terms of its its covid policy it'll be very interesting to see how that um, impacts business, and I, you know, perhaps look forward to perhaps some sort of inflection point around Chinese New Year as as those exporting organisations in China sort of regroup and reestablish themselves with their, their trading partners. Okay, so you're not reading too much yet into news that um, signals that the restrictions are easing in China at the moment. For now, you're still taking a cautious approach and really waiting till Chinese New Year to see whether um, China will commit to a reopening. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our focus has always been on our people and our ability to operate in China, both in and out and the facility lockdowns or facility shutdowns didn't impact us and that is still very much the case we don't see any particular rise in the infection level but we'll be very aware just like we were in every other country in the world of how we staff and and roster our people in our big facilities bearing in mind that uh, it may or may not go up so we've managed through that over the last two or three years in all 220 of our countries and we will do that exactly the same way in China with strong local presence on the ground that's been managing in a very difficult environment over the last couple of years. Okay. And we know that the zero COVID policy in China um, has 
weighed down on DHL Express revenues for the past few quarters. Um, looking ahead, would a China reopening next year make up for softening in other regions due to a global recession? And um, which geographical areas look more resilient um, in the face of an economic downturn next year? Oh, I think it's difficult to say that. Any any change in, in China um, will obviously, if the demand and the consumption at destination is there, be very positive for any of those trends. I often say that you only need a little bit of good news in, in, in the sort of Russia-Ukraine situation, a little bit of good news in terms of China and the COVID um, policy there. Yeah, I, th- I think... Um, yeah, there will be, a, you know, if China reopens, you know, um, and sort of regroups a little bit, as I inferred there, I think that's that's good news for all if, uh, if the, the demand at the other end. I think Asia-Pacific and countries that we talked about in terms of the Global Trade Atlas are very well positioned to uh, benefit from any sort of um, revitalization that comes about through that. And it's very difficult to, to tell how quarter one will play out. So, you know, I go back to the global financial crisis that the whole thing lasted about sort of 12 to 15 months. Um, and, you know, we've been in a situation for maybe three or four months where things were slowing down. So we just have to see how um, things play out. And I'm not sure we can draw too many parallels with uh, previous situations. Mm. Okay. I do have a question about the workforce because we are seeing other sectors like tech, media, even banking. They're starting to trim their workforce to cut costs. Are layoffs on the table at DHL Express at the moment? Is this something that you foresee you may need to do if the situation becomes worse than you anticipate? You know, the the sort of outlook, you know, we've been here before in terms of, you know, uh, crises at the start of the pandemic. I remembered when... um, uh, my head of network ops and aviation asking how many planes we could put on the ground. And it was only four or five weeks when I was asking how many more aircraft we could get. In terms of people, oftentimes I, you know, I get asked that question, will we be downsizing as we have done in the past? And my answer is always, if we remain right-sized, we'll avoid downsizing. So that means that we're very careful about bringing on new employees. When anyone um, leaves one of our particular operating entities, we don't necessarily replace them. If we're in a situation where volumes are, are more muted than at other times, we hardly furloughed anyone during the start of the pandemic. We had, you know, a business decision that we'd watch this, you know, like a hawk for three or four months um, and then make our decisions then. We continue to look after our people in, 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 in Russia and Ukraine, obviously. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see that at all. Um, we have enough churn, you know, in our in our network that we can maintain the efficiencies of the business without necessarily uh, reducing the number of uh, people we have uh, in it. Let's end on um, looking at your prognosis for the Malaysian business, John. You've made key infrastructure upgrades for facilities in Penang, Johor and KL as part of efforts to leverage on ASEAN trade growth, as we've discussed earlier. Does it make you nervous to see the many changes of government that um, Malaysia has had over the past four years and the policy uncertainty that comes with it? I mean, for example, just recently, there's a, a renewed push for Malaysia to withdraw from the CPTPP trade deal. Do these kinds of developments make you regret setting up base here? 
Oh, no, I've definitely got no regrets when it comes to Malaysia or indeed any country. And I say that in the sense that, you know, uh, the handover messages that my last boss uh, gave me when I took over was that we're a, go we're a global company. There'll be a crisis somewhere every day. That's not exactly the point you're making. But, you know, we roll with these policy um, uh, changes and governmental changes. And you can imagine that, you know, just sitting here in the UK, I've seen three different prime ministers in not so long. So, you know, we have to work within that framework. And sometimes there are regulatory environments that, um, you know, suit trade and suit globalization. And some oftentimes there are ones that look to, you know, go in the face of it. But what I do know is that, uh, is that the, you know, sort of global, in, global trade environment and the overall outlook is... Is positive enough that um, you know we sort of ride through those those periods of uncertainty of people moving out of a trade pact or, or moving into a trade pact, and for sure there is a trade deal being written today that coincides with um, you know the, the the situation you say in Malaysia that is on the positive side of the on the ledger, and being a global company, we see the benefits. So our business in Malaysia is extremely strong. We're a great place to work. We're a great place to work uh, globally, number one, for the second year in the row. I know the Malaysian leadership team extremely well. And if you are first choice for your customers in terms of uh, the overall quality and the value for money proposition you have, then uh, you know I'm sure that we'll continue to do extremely well. So I'm, I'm very positive in terms of Malaysia. No regrets whatsoever. <laughs> John, on that note, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to John Pearson, Global CEO of DHL Express. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.